This is Real Estate Rookie episode 1091. I, I firmly believe if you're looking for an agent, they are the one who should be driving the car because they understand this world. Now, if you're an experienced investor, you know that market inside and out, you're not looking for a person to drive, you're more looking for a chauffeur. You're gonna, you can tell them, take me here, go do what I want, I'm gonna work in the back of my computer. But most people listening to this podcast and most people working with agents are not in that position. They need to be driven. And so you really want to look for the agent that is not afraid to tell you the hard truths, that isn't afraid to say, that's a bad idea. That won't work. I don't think you should do it. And then hear them out on why. My name is Ashley Kerr, and I'm here with my co-host, Tony Robinson. And welcome to the Real Estate Rookie Podcast, where every week, twice a week, we bring you the inspiration, information, and amazing stories you need to hear to kickstart your real estate investing journey. And I want to thank everyone, Ash and I both want to thank everyone that's left an honest rating and review for the podcast. Um, every review really does go a long way. It helps us reach more people that haven't heard of the Real Estate Rookie brand yet. And if you think about how much has changed your life, think about how much it might change someone else's. So if you haven't yet, do us a favor, leave an honest rating and review. But Ashley Care, my wonderful co-host, what's uh, what's new? What's going on? Well, I found out today that I am speaking uh, at AJ Osborne's event, the CRE Circle uh, in Boise, Idaho. And actually, I was looking at it and I'm going to be speaking there as this airs. That is when the event is. So everyone listening now, uh, follow me along on Instagram at Wealth from Rentals and check out the the event. And you can I'll share everything that's going on, and you guys can uh, get some information on all the great stuff that AJ Osborne puts out. It's a going to be a commercial real estate investing uh, conference. So if that's something you're interested in. Definitely check out the CRE circle that he puts on. Yeah, and AJ is like literally one of the the smartest investors that I've I've ever met. Um, he's obviously yeah. built a, built a massive business in the self storage space, but just like you know the way he talks about the economy and just like the the level of detail he goes into about self storage. Um, you know, I've, I've only been able to meet him, lucky enough to meet him a few times. But every time I do it, it's just like a, a wealth of information. I know I could listen to him like talk economics forever. Just like anytime <laughs> yeah. in the car with him, I'm like, so what do you think about this? <laughs> and, <laughs> yeah. and go off into uh, to it. I love it. So, yeah. uh, we also have another great investor on the show today. Tony, you want to make the introduction? Yeah. So, today we've got someone you may have heard of, but we've got David Green back on the podcast. Uh, so, I'm sure most of our rookie audience has heard of David, but if, if you haven't, uh, David is the co host of the Real Estate, uh, the Bigger Pockets Real Estate podcast. So, not our show, but the other show. Um, and he's here today to talk about uh, his new book called Skill. So, this book just came out uh, about a week ago from the time that this airs. So, you guys are able to go out and get it now. So, um, we're going to talk a lot about the book, but if you want to learn more about it, go to biggerpockets.com forward slash skill and you can you can buy the book there yeah i uh i love this interview with him because we had him on when he did his first book sold and now that's like getting started as an agent and now it's how to become the top producer and this isn't great just for agents but also as an investor learn how you can help your agent succeed set them up for success so that you're not failing as a team so even if you are not an agent, this is still a great episode to listen to. Yeah, and just like to what you should expect from a from a top mm-hmm. performing agent. And it's like if your agent isn't yeah. doing the things that David's talking about in this episode, uh, it could be a sign that maybe they're not the right agent for you. Like I think my one of my favorite parts was, was when he goes over his listing presentation and like all the detail that goes into that. So this is super beneficial both as an agent that's looking to to find more clients. And as the investor, so you can kind of set some expectations for your agent in terms of what you need from them. Are current interest rates making you depressed about cash flow? What if it didn't have to be that way? 
Rent to Retirement has 2.99% seller financing available on turnkey properties. You heard that right. That's a seller financed 2.99% interest rate where the average cash flow is over $900 per month. They also have options where you can put as low as 5% down on multiple investment properties with no PMI. Rent to Retirement is the nation's leading turnkey investment company that understands what it takes to be successful in today's dynamic real estate market. Their reputation speaks for itself with more five-star reviews than any other company on the BiggerPockets website. Rent to Retirement offers fully turnkey properties that are newly built or renovated, leased and managed, allowing you to invest with confidence in the markets that offer the best returns. To learn more, visit renttoretirement.com. That's rent to retirement.com or text REI to 33777. Again, text REI to 33777. Remember when you had to pay to get a Leeds phone number? It was like the dark ages until Deal Machine made skip tracing a thing of the past. Now, with your Deal Machine plan, you'll get unlimited access to phone numbers and contact information for no extra cost. That's right. Get high quality, reliable information trusted by leading financial institutions, all fully compliant with the federal do not call list. Explore over 150 data points, including age, gender, marital status, occupation, and a ton more. Trust me, this is the data you need for off-market deals. With new filters, people flags, and color-coded phone numbers, lead management just got a ton easier. Ready to step up your investing game? Sign up for a Deal Machine plan today and gain immediate access to this unlimited treasure trove of contact information and phone numbers. Just head to dealmachine.com bp. Transform your lead generation and deal-making strategies with Deal Machine. Sign up today and start exploring the unlimited possibilities at dealmachine.com slash BP. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that I turned one of my first homes into an Airbnb? It's true. And it even helped me get the extra income I needed to launch my real estate career. So if you want to try your hand at making even more income with your property, Airbnb is the place to be. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. David, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for coming back on with us. Last time we had you here, we talked about your book sold, and now you have a new book coming out. Do you want to start off with maybe just telling everyone a little bit about yourself in case for some reason they haven't checked out the awesome Bigger Pockets Real Estate Podcast? <laughs> oh my gosh, yes. I'm so... I'm so nervous right now. I, I'm such a big fan of you guys. I can't believe this is actually happening. I have bigger pockets changed my life. We're not sure if it's going to air, so contain your excitement a little bit. We'll let you know. That's exactly right. Okay, okay. I'll call my nerves. Well, thank you guys. I remember the last time we did this, it was actually really fun. And so um, it's to be honest, I prefer being interviewed than being the interviewer. It just is, it's like easier. You guys have all the stress of, is he answering the question right? Did I ask the right question? I get to just run my mouth. So, uh, like since we were last on, so sold came out, sold was a book written for real estate agents. So when I got my real estate license, <clears throat> I had to learn every lesson the hard way. It took me years to figure out some form of, I wouldn't say a system, but just like a level of confidence that I could go tell people I'm a real estate agent with boldness that made them think, okay, you should be my agent. And I think that is the key to success in anything. If you're an investor, if you want to get into fitness, if you're trying to have better friendships, people are drawn to confident people. And you don't ever get confident until you sort of understand the fundamentals of whatever you're trying to achieve. So like I know, Tony, you're really hitting your stride with fitness. You're competing for shows. 
I'm sure there's a level of your nutrition and what you do at the gym that you're like, I got this locked in. I know what I'm doing. And so you move, you move faster. So the book was written to help new agents figure out how to make money quicker. This is all the stuff you're going to take five years to figure out. So here it is right off the bat. This book, the sequel, is about how you become what we call a top producer. So this is about how you become a really good real estate agent. It's if you want to make good money, which everyone does, they all get in the business thinking they're gonna it's HGTV and they're gonna be rich. This is the actual path that will take you to being good. So I think if you have your license and you've sold a couple homes and you're trying to figure out, is this for me? This is a really good book to read because it will tell you this is the path. I can use an analogy of like the fitness world. You two are both obviously pretty deeply into that. (laughs) If somebody went on one of your workouts or saw your diet, they could quickly know, is that the road I want to take? Right, I want to look like one of them, but do I really want it? Because I'd have to live like them. This book will open up that door. Or if you're already committed, like you're in a position where I have to make money, I need to build some wealth, I want to buy more homes. Uh, this book will be basically be the blueprint of how you become a top producer. So David Sold kind of laid the foundation, and, and this next book scale is about how to really, really refine that. Um, I, I love that you're you're kind of making this a, a sequential journey for folks because obviously a lot of people in the in the rookie audience, you know, they're they're new to real estate investing, but we have a lot of folks that are new agents as well. Um, Ash and I just had the the rookie boot camp weekend. We just got back a couple of days ago, and I was surprised at how many uh, investors there were were also agents. So we're we're definitely feeling like a I think a big void there in the marketplace of how to become a, a mm. good agent. Um, one thing I want to just I, I want to touch on this a little bit before we before we go into it. I know we we spoke on this last time we interviewed you, but I feel like it's it's worth repeating. Do you feel that it's necessary for a rookie investor? to get their license to to be a good real estate investor like those do those two things have to go hand in hand with one another no i almost think it's detrimental in most cases so everyone gives different advice my perspective is the only time you should get your real estate license is if you are 100% committed to making money as a real estate agent and you're going to do whatever it takes just it's not worth dipping your toe in the water just see what happens I can tell you what's going to happen. You're going to spend a lot of money on licensing. You're going to have to spend a lot of money on office fees. You are going to get a business card and be very hesitant to tell people you sell houses. Then your confidence is going to get lost and you're going to carry around a never-ending bucket of shame that you're like, I should be doing more, but I'm not. And it's horrible. So uh, if you're not wanting to represent people, wanting to really learn how to be good at this, don't do it. You can buy houses with a real estate agent for free. To you, And I think a lot of what we talk about today is going to be geared towards what an investor should be telling their agent, this is what I'd like for you to do for me, because most agents won't have read this book and just won't know. Yeah, one, one follow-up question to that. Do you think there's value in niching down as an agent? Like, you know, I've met some, I, I met a, I have a friend who he started and all he did was like foreclosures. Um, I have other uh, agents where all they do is, is short-term rentals. Do you feel that there's value in doing that or, or are you maybe hurting yourself by reducing the size of people that you can work with? That's a really good question. So it, in a perfect market where supply and demand are very even and the only realtors that are in the business belong there and they're good, your advice would be very applicable. It would, or your question would, the answer would be yes, you should niche down. How it actually works is you go look for people who want something more or less beg them to let you be their agent, work your butt off to try and help them, and then pray to God that it's actually going to close and you're going to get paid. So in a market like we have now, I think if you're really good at short-term rentals, you should say that all the time. 
I know how to do short-term rentals. You should look for short-term rental people. But if a, if a foreclosure comes your way or a listing comes your way or a house act comes your way, it's not a huge difference to learn how that works. If, if this was like going from being a real estate agent to being a chef in a, in a restaurant, I would say, no, it's too much. But it's very, very small variation. So you should look for how to do it for everyone. But when you are marketing, it helps if you say, I do this thing. So one of the things that I look for if I'm going to find an agent is I want to find an agent who owns the properties that I'm trying to buy. So if I'm looking to buy a luxury short-term rental, I want to find an agent in that market who also owns luxury short-term rentals. And so that that's where I think it really helps you is if you own that type of property, if you house hacked yourself, you are naturally going to be more confident working with people that are house hacking. They're going to be able to tell when you speak, when you talk. Uh, but I wouldn't say no to other opportunities. I just would go into it with the understanding that my bread and butter is probably going to be this thing. To kind of follow up on that, I think that someone, you know, whether you're deciding to go with an agent who niches down or not, is to look at what you actually need from an agent. If you're like me and you're just going to use an agent just to do the showings for you and do the paperwork, then you don't need an agent that's going to niche down. So maybe that's not valuable to you. But if you need help on maybe analyzing the market or what is actually going to produce income for a short-term rental, then it would be helpful to find those agents that have niched down into that category or have that experience because they they own it themselves. So I think that's something, too, that goes back and forth. Not only should I become an agent or, you know, should I hire an agent, but also why do I need an agent, first of all, and what that value is from them um, and kind of looking at that when deciding if you need to find an investor friendly agent or not. Uh, David, so with your skill book, what are what is kind of the criteria that you have laid out into it? Because in your book sold, we kind of talk about like getting started as an agent. And but now it's you who wants to become the top dog, the top producer, because as you said, it's only worth it to get your license if you are going to go gung ho with this and not just have it as a little side hustle. So something that makes a top producer a top producer is actually very similar to what makes any form of salesperson good, and this would include an investor, is how many leads you can generate for yourself. This is what HGTV doesn't show. What people typically think an agent is, is you get a phone call, someone who is very motivated and really wants to buy a house is asking if you will help them. You will you will get to feel good because you're helping someone and you're getting paid. You'll show them the houses that are available to buy. You will go look at them. You will share all of their emotion, their excitement, their nervousness. You'll form this bond. Then you will pick the house that they like. You will write an offer and you will make a $10,000 commission. That's how people look at it. That happens maybe 2% of the time. And it's the last 1% of everything you do. The other 99% of the job is just frantically looking for the lead, tr- putting your name out there, getting rejected, constantly seeking after the person who wants to buy a house or sell a house, then analyzing that lead. Like, are you serious? Are you motivated? Can you actually buy a house? Is this your money we're spending or are your parents involved in this and they don't want you to do it? You got to qualify the lead. Then you have to convince them to work with you. Then they become your client. And then 98% of those people you work with don't ever actually buy a house, but you spend your time, your money, your gas. That's the reality of what we're getting into. And that's a lot like an investor. Nobody calls you and says, hey, I have a house I really want to sell. I'm looking to get rid of it at a discount. Do you think you'd want to buy it? You'd really be helping me out if you could do so, right? We all know as real estate investors, we're hunting. 
We're telling people that we know we buy homes and, and houses. We're looking on the MLS. We're analyzing them constantly. Would this be the right property for me? Then if you decide that it is, you're putting it in contract. In a sense, that kind of was when it becomes your client and you're trying to figure out, can I close on this thing? Can everything work out the way I, I need it to? And a small percentage of the houses we analyze, do we ever actually end up buying? And that same mentality is required of a real estate agent. And that is when it works out well, Agents and investors are a really good synergy because they understand the skill set is similar between the two, the mindset you have to create. When it doesn't go well is when someone thinks that being an agent is like a W-2 job they had somewhere else. Every W-2 job any of us had, we typically waited for a lead that the business generated to walk in the door and tell us what they want. Okay, so if you think about like the person that works at McDonald's, they're not out there looking for someone who's hungry and saying, you should come eat at this McDonald's. This is the best McDonald's ever. And you should let me be the person. They just stand there. The person walks up. They say what they want. They punch it in a computer and they call that work. That's kind of how we're brainwashed in America to look at what our job is, is we're just waiting for the very last piece of this huge structure that's been developed to create interest in something and, and compete against other restaurants and drive in clients. And that's, that's where most agents have a hard time making the switch, and especially top producers are the ones that embrace it. It's just like the real estate investors that get it. It's like, Ashley, I know you buy tons of different kinds of real estate. You have all these opportunities that come your way. That's because people in your community know Ashley buys stuff. So when something comes up, you you pop in their head and they go, boom, I want to go to her. T Tony, in, in your market, I know, is it in uh, Joshua Tree? Is that where a lot of your work is being done? Yeah. I guarantee you there's realtors there and people there that when they see a listing come up in Joshua Tree, they associate Joshua Tree with Tony. So right off the bat, you're going to get opportunities to look at before other people do. That's how you guys are getting deals is you've learned to associate your name in people's heads with what you want. And I tell realtors that there's like, there's a game you have to play. I'll play it with you guys right now. All right. I'm going to say the name. It sounds like Saw or something, right? I'm, it's I'm not nervous. that kind of game. <laughs> this is cool. Because you have to have me back for my third book that comes out. So if this goes like Saw, I wouldn't be able to come back up and talk about it. <laughs> I'm going to say the name of a household item. And you two, as quickly as you can, are going to tell me the brand that pops in your head. It's going to be a race to see who can come up with something first. All right. Okay. The item is going to be toothpaste. Colgate. Colgate. All right. So uh, Ashley won. But the point is, I've <laughs> only heard two brands the entire time I've ever played this game. People either say Colgate or Crest. Hmm. So the idea is if one of you uh, were going to pick up some toothpaste for me, I'm, like you're coming over to hang out and I'm, you say, hey, can I bring anything to the party? Actually, I need some toothpaste. Can you pick some up? You would not go through the 40 different kinds of toothpaste and spend a lot of time trying to figure out what's the one that David might want. You would look through it all. As soon as you saw Crest or Colgate, you're like, boom, that's it. You'd grab it and you check out and that's what you would bring. That's what every realtor has to do in their spheres world. Every human they know when they hear real estate needs to think that realtor's name. Just like every investor has to do the same thing. That's why we always say, I buy houses, right? And I even go a little bit further. I tell people, if you hear the word divorce, if you hear of a death in a family, I need you to remember me right away because those things often lead to the sale of a house and I want to hear about it before it goes to either another realtor or another investor. And so if you want to be a top producer in real estate sales, mortgage uh, loans, real estate investing, house flipping, really anything 
what we're all doing is we're competing for the real estate in people's heads. So they think of us first when that thing pops up. So David, I want to I want to touch on this, or, or I guess pull this thread a little bit more. Uh, we talk a lot about the importance of having a platform and people knowing you, liking you, and trusting you. Um, and it sounds like that's what you're what you're kind of saying, right? Like there's this big mm-hmm. funnel that you need to build where there's a lot of people at the top, and the better you can get at widening the top of that funnel, the bigger your business becomes. So I mean, for for someone that's looking to to become a more skillful agent, how important is it to build that platform? And and I guess what is the best way to do that as an agent? That's a great question. So let's go back to my McDonald's example. The most valuable person at McDonald's is not the person that stands at the computer and waits for you to walk up and say, I want a, a cheeseburger and I want fries. The most valuable person at McDonald's is the one that sits in the marketing department and says, what commercial should we run? What special should we run? Where should we put our restaurants to get eyeballs on it and make people want to go eat? When should we run these commercials? What are we looking for in this? They're looking to trigger your brain to get you to think of them when you're hungry or when you're driving by to think, oh, I should go to that place. In the W-2 world, we are absolved of any responsibility of having to think about how to generate a lead. So like one of the epiphanies I had to have was I had to realize every job I ever had was not a job. It was a tiny piece in a very big puzzle that was the least important part of the whole thing, which is why they leveraged it out first, (laughs) (laughs) right? Like think about the job of a host or a hostess at a restaurant. That was one of the first jobs I had. I was a host and then I worked my way up to busboy, then server, and I kept going. I literally would just wait for someone to walk in a door, say, hi, how many people are there in in your group? Oh, there's three of you. Do a little bit of thinking like who's the next server to get a table and then grab menus and walk them 20 feet or something. It was ridiculously easy. Okay. But I call that work. And if I worked for six hours or eight hours, I was like, I've been at work all day. No, I've not been at work. I've been walking 20 feet back and forth in an air-conditioned environment wearing comfortable shoes without having to think very hard, okay? Um, When I embraced that that really isn't labor, that as long as the world's been spinning, this might be one of the easiest jobs a human being's ever had, I stopped feeling bad when I had to do more. And that was when I started to like really work hard and ask other people, hey, can I help you with what you're doing and build a good reputation and show ambition that my boss started looking to promote me. If you wanna be a top producing agent, what you have to understand is it's your job to get people to come eat at the restaurant. That is the most important part of your business and that's what you need to be doing. You have to be talking to human beings, hosting events, putting stuff on social media that people care about and want to watch. If McDonald's made bad commercials, we wouldn't go eat there. It doesn't matter how good the food might be. I, this is a terrible example because we started talking about fitness and I went to McDonald's. But thank you guys. <laughs> you know what I'm saying here. Um, realtors have to understand your job is marketing and then the paperwork and the legal aspect and how to use a lockbox. That's all the job of the host is just walking people back and forth between tables. Like that's not what you should be worried about how to do well. If you want to get in this business, you have to be thinking about how do I get people to want to come to me? So you need to know a lot about real estate. You need to have a lot of connections. You need to be able to help somebody achieve what their goal would be. And then you have to manage the entire restaurant because you are the business. You're not an employee in someone else's business. 
Yeah. So David, I'm so glad you brought that up, right? And, and, you know, I've, we, we've heard this many, many times, right? People work with other people that they know they like and they trust. It's like an old marketing adage. If you want someone to buy something from you, they have to know you and like you and trust you. And I, the, the point you just made about, you know, all the transactional things of, you know, creating a listing and doing the lockbox, like those are all the, the things that happen after all the hard work of building that relationship comes first. So, um, you know, we're, we're big proponents, like even as a rookie investor, whether you're an agent or not, you should be out there talking to people about what it is that you're doing. And whether that's a podcast, whether that's a YouTube channel, a blog, like whatever it is, find a way to get your journey out in the, in front of other people, because eventually you're going to find someone that's going to resonate with that story. Um, so David, I, I want to switch gears just a little bit. So as, as, as a, as a new investor, who's looking to work with an agent, um, you know, I think one of the biggest mistakes that, that rookies make is, trying to buy everything and anything, right? They're just like, I want a good deal. Um, how can a how can a, a rookie investor and an agent work together to kind of tighten up that criteria and I think do a better job of finding the right deals for the right person? Man, the first thing that the rookie investor has to understand is what are what are when you say the word deal, do you know what that means? In fact, I think this is just something everyone in America could really benefit from. We often find ourselves at odds or arguing with another person over a concept before we've even defined what we think that is. So if you think about the like the hot button topics, like like abortion would be one of them, right? Roe Ro v. Suede is in there. One side typically believes that what you're doing is killing a human and the other side believes that it's not a human yet, but they'd scream at each other over what they think that the other person should be doing but they're not on the same definition of if it's a human or not. If they did, they would probably not be at odds with each other, right? And I just see this happen in relationships all the time is we don't stop to define what we are actually at odds about. You might be on the same page and not realize it. So we say the word deal, but deal means something very different to me than what it does to somebody who's new than what it does to somebody who is an agent, right? And so in, if you're buying in a good area, all real estate at some point becomes a good deal. Like think about people that bought a house 30 years ago. Are any of them mad about that right now? <laughs> right? Even if it wasn't a good deal or they thought that they've overpaid, they're they're pretty happy, okay? Yeah. So the new person has to understand that this is not like other things in life where there's clearly one better thing than all the others and you're looking for it right? This is more like dating. Like what's the right person for you, for your situation? What you might like this personality for someone else. That's the worst personality ever. You have to understand what you want. And that's the thing when rookie investors don't, and they tell an agent, I want a deal. The agent doesn't know what that means. They haven't defined what that is. They don't know what to go look for. So the agent spends a lot of time trying to make the person happy and they don't because the person doesn't even know what's going to make them happy. Then the agent starts ghosting them. Then the investor gets irritated or angry and says, agents don't care. They're greedy. Uh, the industry sucks. And then they may think real estate itself sucks. I watch this happen all the time. So what I would say is what an investor should do is sit down and say, what's my ultimate goal? I want to have X amount of money. Okay. Well, how many houses am I going to have to get there? It would be about this much. Okay. How do I get some momentum moving in that direction? Maybe I should house hack. Okay. What does a house hack look like? Well, it's probably going to be a multifamily or a house with a lot of square footage that can be divided up. All right, let me talk to my agent about if I should get a multifamily or a house with a lot of square footage and see what they have to say. The agent is probably going to say, well, the lender says if you want to get a multifamily right now, 15% down is the minimum, even for a primary residence. Well, pff, that might eliminate it. Now you know you're looking for a bigger house 
with a basement and you're asking, do you have enough capital to finish the basement or not? Okay, it needs to be a finished basement and a house of big square footage, which area. Now the agent can actually help you and now you have clarity on what you're doing. And once you get that first deal, start asking yourself, what would my second deal look like? That is a much more practical approach where both sides can work together to be successful than saying, send me a deal run it, then they run it through a bigger pockets calculator. They get an ROI that looks good and they have no idea what to do next. David, talking kind of about that communication between agents and the investor, what are some things that the the investor should be telling the agent to set them up for success? Like I did this leadership training recently with FTX and it was based off of the book Extreme Ownership. And in it, it talked about like, yes, the people following you can, you know, fail and it's not always their fault. It definitely can be the leader's fault. And these agents are part of the investor's team. So if you are an agent and you feel like you are, you are failing this investor, what's a list of things that a a successful agent could give investors and say, you know what, I want to be the best agent to you that I can be. Here's a list of things I need from you. And this is how, you know, we can make it work. That's the best question that you could ask. If, if an agent does that, they will be good. And as the guy running the team, this is my hardest problem. Because the, the, this industry tends to draw the high eye on the disc. They want to be liked. They want to they wanna be a waiter. What would you like? You'd like a glass of wine? I'm on it. Okay, you want the, the steak? I'll go get it for you. They want the client to tell them, this is what I want. And then they just want to deliver it and feel good and be happy. But in this world, the client is looking usually for more leadership than what they understand. They want to be led. And a lot of agents are not comfortable leading. They don't like the responsibility that comes with that. And so then they avoid the difficult conversations. What I find, so we sell a lot of houses in California, Northern California, the Bay Area, very hot market, Southern California, Los Angeles, also a very hot market. So people will come to us with an idea and they'll say, hey, I want to do the burr. And I want to borrow money at 0% from somebody else. And it needs to be 70% of ARV minus repairs. And I want to be in Malibu. And like, they'll give you this ridiculous list that is never (laughs) going to happen, right? And our job is to hear them out, look past what they're saying and, and hear what they want. When they say I want to buy Malibu, they're either saying I want to be in a really good area that's going to appreciate, or they're saying my ultimate goal is to have enough money to live in this part, right? That means we need to put a plan together to get them there, not actually go look for a house in Malibu that they can use the Burr method on with an FHA loan, which is what they're going to be thinking. So what what we try to do when we do this well is we say that won't work and here's why, but here's what will work. And if we take what will work and we we take your ultimate goal and chop it into maybe four or five steps over a period of time, we can get you to the house in Malibu. And if more realtors did that, they would automatically disqualify the the clients that are not going to work with them and not going to buy a house. And they would earn the trust of the ones that are. I, I firmly believe if you're looking for an agent, they are the one who should be driving the car because they understand this world. Now, if you're an experienced investor, you know that market inside and out, you're not looking for a person to drive. You're more looking for a chauffeur. You're gonna, you can tell them, take me here, go do what I want. I'm going to work in the back of my computer. But most people listening to this podcast and most people working with agents are not in that position. They need to be driven. And so you really want to look for the agent that is not afraid to tell you the hard truths, that isn't afraid to say, that's a bad idea. That won't work. I don't think you should do it. And then hear them out on why. And I think there's lessons to be learned on both sides of that conversation, David. As the, as the investor, 
you need to to kind of seek out that that kind of tough love and feedback from your agent. And as the agent, you have to have the courage to stop your client from driving off a cliff and doing <laughs> trying to do something stupid or, or something that's impossible. That is, dude, that is exactly <laughs> what my life is like every day when we're having training. <laughs> and an agent goes, "What do you do?" And the investor says this, and it's I have to say the same thing over and over <laughs> and over. And mm-hmm. that's why I'm saying not everybody will do it, but that's what the right that's what the right uh, relationship really should look like. Yeah, and as a savvy investor, you want that, right? Like if I'm if I'm doing something for my health that's detrimental, I'm paying my doctor to let me know what I'm doing wrong and how to correct it, right? So you want that same kind of relationship with the... With your with your agent as well. Look at me dropping metaphors like David Green. Where that, that was awesome. <laughs> and, and and there's a part of human nature that doesn't like it, we, as, especially yeah. when we're scared. We want to be in control, but it's often the worst thing you could ever do. So, like, if I went into either of your markets, I wouldn't be going in there telling you two, "Here's what I'm looking for." I'll be going there asking you what works in your market. What do you think I should be looking for, and why? And if your answers were sensible, reasonable, supported with facts, um, and I believed in what you were doing, I would adapt my strategy around what you were telling me would work there. Or I would recognize, well, that isn't going to work for what I want. That's not the right market for me. And so that's typically how I tell people they should be looking at agents. If you ask that question and the agent can't answer, that's not the right agent. I, I don't think most people realize how many agents we have that we don't need. There is probably... 12 times more agents in the market than is actually necessary. In my office, more than half of our agents sell zero houses a year. We have over 100 agents. So more than 50 don't sell even one house a year. Um, Of the 50 that sell a house, half of them sell like somewhere between one to three. And then the top 20% or so actually sells like 10 houses a year or more. So it's very uncommon to find an agent who actually is really good at what they're doing. And then when you find one, they're probably going to be busy. They're probably going to be more direct. And that often uh, rubs people the wrong way, right? The one who's going to be like super accommodating, call you back right away. They usually are doing that because they they don't have any other customers in their restaurant because they're food. <laughs> what do you do, though, if your agent is unresponsive? You have to be direct. How do you handle you have that? To say, hey, I want to work with you for this reason. I'm having a hard time because you're not responding back to me. Can we put some time on the schedule every day, every three days, whatever, mm-hmm. where you and I can touch base? And then the next thing I say is I say, how do you prefer to be communicated with? So sometimes there's an agent in a market that has stuff no one else has, and I got to deal with their unresponsiveness. All right. So I typically say what I'm going to need from you is a response. Do you like texting? Do you like emails? Do you like a phone call? Do you like a voice note? And if I'm direct, those successful people respond better to that. They'll be like, yep, let's put a call on the counter every day, four o'clock. This is what we'll go out. And I'll say, great. I will text you what the call will be about 15 minutes before so that we can have it as concise as possible. Now that person is, boom, we're talking all the time. It's that lack of directness that everyone gets uncomfortable with that causes all of the frustration between the two parties. And I think a lot of people just have different communication styles as well, right? And I think understanding how one person likes to communicate versus the other plays an important role in, in keeping that relationship strong too. Um, David, I want to go back to to the marketing funnel that you talked about at the beginning because it, it makes me think of the, the next thing I want to tackle. In order to be good at, at marketing, you got to be really good at like tracking your numbers as well, right? Like a lot of, like if you're really good at tracking your numbers, you know, for every 100 leads that come in, this many are going to like book an appointment, this many are going to, so like what kind of metrics do you think it's important for an agent to track in their business, both in like a, you know, long-term, short-term and everything in between? We have two that we prioritize tracking. The first is how many conversations you had in a day 
where you directly ask for business. So I, there's a book that uh, Gary V wrote called Jab, 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 Right Hook. And the idea is if a right hook is like a knockout punch, but if you just go out there and throw that right off the bat and you miss, you're going to get knocked out yourself. So you don't want to go out and just say, hey, on the very first conversation you have, I'm a real estate agent. Do you know, do you know anyone that wants to sell a house? That is very distasteful. No one's going to like it. So what he says is your jabs are when you give value. So there's a rhythm of give, 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 ask, give, 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 ask. So I know in every conversation I have, I'm going to want to bring up real estate in some way because I want to be Crest and Colgate in your head. So what I have to do is be very interested in you and what your goals are and what matters to you and what your challenges are. Figure out how to give value to you three times. And then on the fourth time, I'm going to ask for what I would want. So we train our agents on how to do that. We track how many of those conversations they have in a day. And the other thing is we have a listing presentation we give if we want to sell your house. And we have a buyer's presentation that we give if you're going to buy a house where we spell out, this is what the whole process looks like. Most agents don't do that. So what happens is, is the client feels like they're driving in the fog and they're, they're creeping at two miles an hour the whole time because they're scared to death because they don't know what's coming. So we lay out a whole roadmap. Here is everything we're going to do. Here's what the layout looks like. Here's the road. Now they're not as scared. They're not as nervous when stuff comes up. We've gone over an inspection report with them. They know how an appraisal works. They know what the contract looks like. They know what earnest money deposit is. They know um, how we're going to show them homes, what kind of feedback we want. So I track how many of those presentations our agent given a week. So what I tell the agents is if you give three of these presentations a week to anyone, you give it to your mom, your aunts, your cousins, your neighbors, your friend from high school, just say, hey, can you give me some feedback? This is a presentation I give to buyers. I want to know what you think. A, you get comfortable doing it, which is really important. You, you, you sound more confident when you've done it a lot. But B, you impress the crap out of them when you give it to them. It associates you as the Colgate or Crest in their head, even if they're not ready to buy right now. And the problem is human nature never wants to do that. We want to wait till the last minute and then cram it in and get through it as fast as we can and then get out there looking at houses. And so that discipline is very difficult to create with real estate agents. But I, I look at it like turning a jack in the box, right? Da, 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 da. I don't know how many times I'm going to do that, but I know if I keep doing it, that thing's going to pop. That's how real estate agents need to look at their business. Those conversations they're having is the cranking. And the better, the more smooth, the more value they bring, that's the faster that they crank. And that's what your job is, is to crank on that thing all the time, and then it should start popping. And then when it starts popping so much that you can't keep up, that's when the third book scale would be uh, applicable in the series. That's when you leverage out getting other people to help you with your job. David, I love the, the none of the metrics that you tracked were how many properties did you sell? Right. Or like, what was your commission? So talk about why you focused on these presentations and the conversations over the numbers of, you know, volume sold and things like that. So focusing on volume sold, houses sold, the end result would be like, if, if, if I wanted to get in shape and you said, okay, well, what you need to focus on is weighing yourself every single day, right? Because if I miss four days of the gym and I eat bad, do I want to go weigh myself on the fourth day? No, I'm looking for a reason to not do that. And now that I'm not weighing myself, I don't want to go to the gym at all, right? Like It's very easy to lose that momentum, and then you stop looking at the numbers. If I wanted to lose weight, I should be tracking what I am eating and how many times I go to the gym and maybe what I do when I'm there. That's a weight. We call those uh, lead measures. These are things that lead to a result. A lag measure 
is once you've already done your lead work, how did it turn out? And and focusing on the end result is not a good idea, right? Like it's uh, in, in general, it folk, we call it resulting. Annie, Annie Dukes wrote a book called, uh, what did she call it? It was like living life in bets, I believe. And she talks about poker where you can make the right call in poker, but the odds go against you and you still lose. And you shouldn't change your strategy based on the fact that the result was you lost. If you made the right move, you need to make it again. And life is a game of averages. And that's the same thing how this works. Focusing on how many houses I sold will maybe make me complacent. I sell all these houses. Now all my conversations are about how many houses I sell, why I'm better than the next realtor that turns people off. Focusing on how many reps I'm doing with the weight I'm pushing is and how many times I get in the gym. It is impossible to not get stronger or better if that's what you're focusing on is your lead measure. So if you focus on your conversations, if you focus on your presentations, you will get better by mere fact of doing them and you will get the word out to more people the more often you do it. David, one one example from my personal life. So like my W-2 job before I became a full-time real estate investor, I worked in supply chain and distribution. And um, that whole industry is like dominated by lead metrics and lag metrics. And one of the things that I was responsible for as a leader in that business was how many units we shipped per hour. Right. Like, you know, how many units, how many boxes did we make leave this facility every hour? That was the the lag metric that we were graded against. But every day, the things we would hold our team members accountable to had nothing to do with how many boxes they were moving per hour. It like we would literally like how much time are you spending in between each location? Right. Like mm-hmm. if you have to visit 30 locations to pick all these, you know, all these items, how fast you get them from one spot to another? How many trips is it taking you around the warehouse to finish your your pick so like focusing on those things if we hit all those boxes then we knew at the end of the day that we, we'd be able to reach that larger metric of how many units are leaving the warehouse so i think in every single like any goal that you have there's always some kind of lead metric you can track upstream that if you knock and, and check all those boxes there's there's a high likelihood that you'll hit that that big goal at the end And that's how life tends to work. So if you're the manager, you're probably spending more time looking at lag metrics because you're making sure that all of the people working for you are doing their job. And if the, if the, if the weight starts going up or in your case, Tony, if the, the shipping isn't happening like it should be, that's a clue. I need to dig deeper and find out why. So the example that I like to give would be I'm a big Golden State Warriors fan and that team is plagued by turnovers. They just turn the ball over a lot, right? I don't think the players should be thinking during the game, how many turnovers do we have? That doesn't make sense. But the coach should be looking at that. And if the coach sees the turnovers are too much, this is stopping us from winning, they need to go create lead measures for the the players, right? Are we leaving our feet to pass? Are we throwing one-handed passes instead of two? Um, what are we, are we getting ourselves into a jam because we made a bad decision and then we're turning the ball over because we don't have anywhere to go with it? And then create practice around how to avoid that. Those lead measures are the player's responsibility. The lag measures would be management or the, the coach's responsibility. Um, but what the, the point is, is it's lead measures that create the result. And it's that's where people should be focusing. It's just nobody wants to, right? No, no, Nobody wants to naturally be focused and disciplined when they're making passes. It's easier to play casual. Just, just one last thing before we get off of this. So a lot of you guys that are listening know that I, I trained for this fitness competition about a month ago, um, did pretty well, placed first in a few of the divisions that I competed in. And the things that I tracked throughout that competition, 
Uh, I literally have a chart in my bathroom and I would fill it out every day. I printed it out and hung on the wall in my bathroom and I would check um, or I was tracking how much water I was drinking. It was like a yes or no. I had a goal of drinking two gallons of water a day. Um, was I doing my fasted cardio? I was supposed to do cardio twice a day. Was I in the weight room? Right? Did I actually lift weights that day? Did I eat all my meals? Right? I was supposed to be eating five to six times a day. And did I take all my supplements? None of those had anything to do with how I looked or what my weight was or how much how strong I was. I was just tracking water, food, cardio, supplements, and that was it, right? And it was tracking those things on a consistent basis that allowed me to reach that goal over time. So David, I'm can you give an example of lead versus leg on the investor side of things? Yes, that's really good. A lag measure would be how many houses did I put into contract? Uh, what what did my net worth increase by? What did my cash flow increase by? A lead measure would be how many conversations did I have about real estate with someone that is likely to come across an off-market opportunity? How many names, phone numbers, and emails did I get to put into my database for follow-up to talk to more people? Um, how many conversations did I have with people in the industry that could come across opportunities? So, I mean, one of the tried and true ways of, of getting a deal right now that no one could stop would be if you just called landlords that are advertising something for rent and said, hey, do you want to buy? That's the perfect jack in the box. They're going to say no, most likely when you call. But if you call them every month or every two months, you're going to hit them at that point where they're sick of dealing with the tenant. They don't need the money anymore. They want to move. They don't want to own the property. If you're the first call they get, that jack in the box is going to pop. So how many of those people did you add to your database every week? How many phone calls did you make to those people? And then my belief is as a result of staying disciplined and consistent with doing that, you will naturally get better at doing it. Human beings like to become more efficient at what we do. If if Tony goes to the gym enough times, eventually he's going to get better at lifting the weights. It's not just he's lifting them more. You're going to become, your form is going to get better. You're going to get stronger. You're going to figure out what works for you. You're going to become more efficient. And that's why discipline is so important because if you keep going, it is impossible to not get better. But what I think what stops people is they have this idea like I have to be good at lifting. I have to be strong before I go to the gym. When Bigger Pockets started podcasting, no one thought we needed a store, but then books, so many books, best selling books, rookie books, partnership books. We needed the best real estate bookstore ever, so we chose Shopify. <laughs> Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from the launch stage to the first order stage to the did we just sell out the whole store stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling real estate books or retro clothing, Shopify's platform helps you sell everywhere, online or in person. Now, speaking of online, did you know Shopify has the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better than other leading commerce platforms? And no matter how big you grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control of your business. And that's why we chose Shopify for the Bigger Pockets bookstore. So sign up for a $1 per month trial at shopify.com slash bprookie, all lowercase. Again, go to shopify.com slash bprookie now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash bprookie. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that a long time ago before I ever started my real estate business, 
I turned one of my first primary residences into an Airbnb. And that's the extra income that I needed from Airbnb that gave me the confidence to go out and work for myself and eventually quit my nine to five job. And now I have dozens of Airbnbs all over the country. I've even partnered up with the old David Green on a recent property in Scottsdale to take our portfolio to the next level. And of course, we host it on Airbnb. But you don't need to be a full-time real estate investor to start on Airbnb. As a matter of fact, I was self-managing 10 properties while working my 9-to-5 job, so I know anybody can do it. Think about it this way. You're looking for extra income and going on a vacation. Wouldn't it be great to rent out your space and let your property pay for itself while you're gone? I did this one time. I pitched my wife and my roommate because we were house hacking on the idea of renting out our home, and it paid for all of our expenses on a trip to Mexico City. So go and give it a try. It might just change your life just like it did mine. And I really do mean that. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. You're trying to close on your next rental. So why is your insurance company dragging its feet? With long lead times and never-ending paper forms, it's no wonder it takes forever to finally get a policy. Modern investors deserve better. They deserve Steadily.com. At Steadily.com, you'll get fast, affordable landlord insurance available online 24-7 in just a few clicks. You can even get next-day coverage, which takes just minutes, by the way, to obtain. And you can do it all from your phone. Steadily was founded by landlords who created insurance products tailored to the unique needs of this industry. It's their sole focus, and that's why landlords nationwide consistently rate them 4.8 out of 5 stars. So whether you've got a single-family, short-term, or multifamily portfolio, Steadily.com can secure the best coverage at the best price to protect your properties. Discover how Steadily can save you both time and money on your rental property insurance. Visit Steadily.com for a commitment-free quote tailored to your needs today. So David, before we move on, um, I just want to go back to the presentation piece really quickly because I, I think that's a unique thing. I've worked with a lot of different agents um, in multiple different markets and not not a single one has given me any kind of presentation. So can you just share a little bit about like what goes into that listing presentation and yeah. how you found it to be valuable? Yeah, that's really good. So um, what most agents will do, this is the typical thing, is there's a uh, they'll go in their MLS and the MLS typically has some kind of software with an algorithm where they will type in, it's a 1400... Uh, square foot house with three bedrooms in this area. And it works similar to what the Zestimate works like on Zillow. And it'll be like, bing, this house should be listed for somewhere between five eighty dollars and $600,000. They will print that out. They will take it to the seller. They'll say, we should list your house for somewhere between five hundred and five eighty dollars and $600,000. And let me tell you why I'm so great. I will hold your hand the whole way. I will knock on every door and tell people. I will hold open houses every single weekend. I am amazing. You should trust me. And that's what, that's what their presentation looks like. What we do is much more detailed. So I have trained our agents to hold listing presentations the way that I sell my houses if I'm going to go sell it. So we're going to start off by finding out what the motivation is of the person who's selling their home. We're then going to get the address and we're going to run a comparative market analysis, a CMA. This would be like pulling comps. We break them into three categories. There's active listings for sale, pending listings that are already in contract, and then closed listings. What I'm looking for ideally is the shape of a pyramid. So the closed listings on the bottom are the widest. Then there's pending sales that are like a little bit less than that. And then there's hardly any active houses on the market. That is the strength of a seller's market because the active homes are going pending super quick. And there's a lot of pending homes that are selling. So you have a lot of sales. If it's the opposite of that, if I see a lot of active houses on top and hardly anything that is sold on the bottom, that's going to be a buyer's market. It's going to be harder for us to be able to sell their home. 
I then call every single agent that has a pending transaction and I ask them, how many offers did you get? I mean, you got to build some rapport before you do it, but we find that out. How many offers did you get? Do you think you priced it too low? Would you have priced it higher? Do you think you went too high? What were the complaints? What did the buyers uh, say? What was your experience like that you ultimately went into contract? Because those pennings are the ones you want to know about. That's the girls that found a date to the dance. You want to find out how did you do that? Because I want to be able to do the same. Then I, then I call, or I don't call, but someone on the team calls every single active listing. It used to be me. And we say, how many showings are you getting? How much interest are you getting? Do you feel like it's softening up? Do you think you price too high? Uh, and we find out from them, like, what kind of action are they getting? And we take notes on every single one of those conversations on that sheet with all the addresses. We take that with us to the listing presentation. And we sit down, we have a branded folder. We have like a pop socket to go on the back of their phone and like a pen that says David Green, a, a cool brochure that explains what we do. And we start off by giving a PowerPoint presentation that shows um, this is what makes a house sell. This is where buyers are finding their homes. This is how we market your house to different people. Here's some of the lies that realtors will tell you. One of the common ones that a realtor will say is, I will market your house to X amount of people. Right? I will get it in front of a lot of humans. That was legit 30 years ago when it was very hard to get a house in front of people. But we live in like the online dating age. It's not hard to find someone online, right? How every, every house is everywhere. You, it's not hard to find it. Everyone's looking at it. The goal is to make it stand out. So we'll say, we're not going to show your house to more people. They're all already going to see it. It's going to hit all of the portals. What we're going to do is market it like this. We're going to use drone footage. We're going to use this type of staging. We're going to use these type of cameras. This is what our other listing pictures look like. This is how we're going to market your home. Then we get into how we're going to follow up with leads. We have a service where if somebody texts a number when they're near the home, the our uh, software will interact with their phone's GPS and it will automatically send them a text that says, here's all the information about the phone. It notifies one of our agents. They then call that person and say, hey, did you want to set up a showing? So in today's day and age, people's attention spans are very short. Nobody is going to go stop at a house, look up the address, Google it, try to find it online. They're just going to keep going. And no one calls anymore either. They all want to text. Me too. So we go over what we do to make it easier for buyers to find the house. Then we go over, once we get multiple offers, these are negotiation strategies we use to find the buyer that needs the house the most so we can get you the very most. Then we go over why they're going to pay for a home inspection up front. And even though that's going to cost $500, it's going to stop the eight to $15,000 request for repairs that's going to come back our way that happens every time when you make a buyer get their own inspection. We show them how much money we're going to save just because we're better than how much money we're going to make them because of how hard that we negotiate. Then we go over the CMA. We show here's all your competition. This is what we found. Here's our edge. Here's all the pending homes. This is what they said. This is exactly where the market is right now. Here's what we should list at. Here's our commission. We sign the listing agreement and then we start the process of getting the house ready. Then before we even put it on the market, we take that same CMA that we saved in the computer, we run it again, we see what's new, we call all of those homes, and if we see that like demand has gone up, we price it a little bit higher than we agreed on the listing agreement. If prices have gone down, we adjust the other way before we even put the house on the market. So there is a lot of work that goes in on our side to being as precise as we can, and that is something I don't think if you're inexperienced with selling homes, because most people sell a house like every 10 years, it doesn't happen all the time, right? That just looking for the cheapest agent drives me crazy because there's no way if they're getting a discounted rate, they're doing any of that. They're just going to put a sign in the yard, wait for offers to come in and then give it to you and say, hey, what do you want to do? 
And that's another thing that we do different. Like before you even get the offer in front of you, we have already talked to listing agent and try to negotiate up as high as we could possibly get it before we bring it to you. So I, I don't like the, here's three offers. Which one do you want? The most agents do. Well, here's where they came in. Here's what we said. These guys came up 60 grand. These guys came up 40 grand, but I think they got a little more to go. And these people are willing to come in all cash or whatever the case would be. So we're trying to make our clients money before they even see the offers that come in. David, you just gave great examples of how to make yourself an agent that stands out. And I think Tony and I are both sitting here thinking like, oh, the next time we sell a house, we want somebody like I'm that. I'm thinking like, I don't even <laughs> want to sell a house, but David, can you just take my house, please? Anyway? <laughs> and I... And I think that just also proved kind of the point in the beginning, too, is that if you are an investor thinking that you should get your license to become a great investor, are you going to want to learn all that stuff? Are you going to want to take the time to do all that research? And most likely, no. Like, I don't even want to do the paperwork of a contract, let alone do all of that valuable tools and skill set that your team has. Those agents, I don't want to have to learn to, you know, be the best at that like they are. And I think a real estate agent is one of the easiest things an investor can outsource for somebody on their team. And I think you just gave the the exact reason, a, a great example of why you should outsource it if you're not going to take the time to learn those things and become the best at being a real estate agent. Yeah. You don't, you don't hear a lot of investors saying, you know, should I get a degree in bookkeeping so I can keep my own books? Or should I go get my contractor's license so I can do my own rehab? Right. But for some reason, the agent thing seems easy and there's nothing to it. And I could just go do it myself and I can save money. But it's just like everything else. It, it, there, there's a skill set that goes into being good at doing this. And what my hope is, is that. Yeah, the- and are you really even saving money though? I mean, yes, you'll get your commission on the back end, which I mean, ends up being what does an agent actually walk away with? What'd you say is at average, David? Like, oh, the buyers are getting about two and a half percent, but then the broker's going to get 30% of that. And then they're going to have to pay for everything that they went into selling. It's not what people think. Right. And their license. And then just you even said you go through the contracts and you help them negotiate and you figure out, you know, what the right price point is all those things where you're probably they're probably end up getting more money not even being the agent because way if their agent help them yeah yeah i'll give you an example of a house that i bought so the person i bought it from used a discount real estate brokerage i won't say the name of it but it's very well known in the industry that people go there to save money and the agents that work there are the worst and he hired that company to represent him on the selling side. And I and had an agent on my team representing me on the buying side. So they listed the house too high. Found out from the listing agent, the seller insisted on going at like 2.15. And she told him we need to be closer. We need to be less than that. He, she was not strong enough to overcome him and she let him make the decision. So that house sat there in a very desirable neighborhood in the East Bay, super close to an even better one, like primo area, 5,000 square feet. It sat there for 40 days or so and it didn't sell. So I went in and I wrote a much lower offer and I asked for $75,000 in closing costs and I structured it so that we had um, a very long time that we could get out of the house. And his agent did not explain to him all of the nuances of this offer, which I wrote on purpose to where it wasn't super easy to to see it all. She was going to have to read the contract. So he goes into contract with us. And then he's already mad because we got it for, I got it for much less than what he was asking for. And not long after that, we saw like a 
rush of buyers come in. And so he was mad because he realized he could have got more. Then at the closing table, he realized we were getting a $75,000 credit. So that was even worse. Then he, he, got a, he was under the assumption he was going to get a free rent back. Well, he had to pay the rent back at my mortgage, which was like 10 grand a month, not his mortgage, which had been $2,500 a month because he b- bought that house a really long time ago. So at every stage, he got hammered. I mean, he probably lost about three hundred dollars to 400000 on the purchase price, then $75,000 on the closing costs, then the money he had to pay to rent it back. Because he wanted to save money on the agent. And that I just frequently see this in our industry where people pat themselves on the back because they beat their own agent in negotiating the listing commission. And I just ask, like, do you want an agent that you can out negotiate negotiating for you with a guy like me who's coming after after you hard? And so my hopes are that people that are not agents will still get this book and read it so they can tell their agent that they're working with, this is what I would like you to do, because most of those agents don't know this stuff. David, man, so so much good information. My head's still spinning from the agent presentation side, but but hopefully everyone that's listening here understands that there's a tremendous amount of value in working with an agent that really knows what they're doing. Um, so b- before we wrap up, David, I just want to ask, so w- what is, if I'm a new investor, what's a good way for me to connect with an agent that knows all the stuff that you're talking about? Um, one thing you can do is go on the bigger pockets agent finder and you can look for agents. I'm a proponent of, you want to find one that has sold some homes. I, if you're new, you don't want the agent that sold no homes unless they're already an investor and they know real estate from that perspective. But the first Several transactions an agent does, they're screwing up left and right. They don't even know it. So you don't want to be that person learning on your dime. If you're in California, obviously, I want people to reach out to me. I still, for some reason, help me understand this, you two. I will get someone that listens to me on the podcast, loves what I say, finds a different agent to sell their house, and then DMs me and says, what should I do? My agent messed this up. I'm trying to figure out what is it about my presentation that makes people think i don't want you calling me to sell your house <laughs> i don't know i think it, i think it's like that uh, you're like a celebrity to people right maybe there's this like uh intimidation aura around. yeah maybe a little okay bit, you know Man, i'm not too proud to sell your home i'm writing books about it because i want to sell your home so please maybe come to me if you want to sell a house but when you do find someone in an area that i'm not going to be servicing you really need to ask questions about if they own real estate. Those are the, I would rather have an agent that owns real estate and doesn't know the paperwork side or doesn't have the best personality, but they've done it themselves. So they know what questions they had when they were buying the house way more than a really fun, charismatic, energetic agent who is probably broke and rents their own home and and just knows how the paperwork side goes, but they're not going to have the resources you need, like a handyman that can fix things, a reputable property management company. Um, there's, there's a lot of things as investors that save us a lot of money when we get the right connection or exp- areas of expertise that we can really benefit from. So don't assume just because they have a license that they're all the same. We don't assume every restaurant's going to be good. You really want to do research if you're trying to find one place to eat at that has really good reviews that you feel really good about and talk to a couple before you make that decision. David, thank you for sharing that. And for our rookies listening, um, if you want to find more information about finding an agent, you can go to Bigger Pockets Agent Finder on biggerpockets.com. And um, it's basically like a matchmaking uh, website. You can go in and put your market, what strategy you're looking to do, and be matched with an agent uh, that can help you uh, get your first or your next investment property. 
David, we have a segment on here that is called uh, the Rookie Exam. And we actually kind of tailored it to you a little differently than we normally would with a rookie. So the first question is, where do you see inflation going by the end of the year? Higher and higher. Um, No one knows how to answer this question first off. So I just want to put that out there. Mm -hmm. But I... I the way I see inflation is it's like this like this semi truck that is going down a very steep grade and just picking up steam because it's been from momentum from the last 10 years or you know 8 years. It's not like we just started it. It's just now hitting us and trying to raise interest rates is like lightly touching a brake pad to the rotor. It is not nearly enough to stop what's coming. So I expect this really rough phenomena of inflation continuing to go, asset prices going higher, the cost of food and everything, gas going higher at the same time that rising interest rates make it so people spend less money. So if you're on the lower end of the demographic uh, outlook here, you're getting squeezed hard because everything you're buying is going to cost more and uh, the money you're making at work isn't worth as much and interest rates going up make it when you do want to borrow money that is extra expensive. So I think it's going to be a long time before we can slow the semi-truck down that's just barreling down the hill. So if people are saying, oh, they're raising interest rates, they're going to curb inflation. It eventually could happen. It doesn't, you don't just like flip your fingers and you can stop that tidal wave that we've created from all the stimulus that we made. But I, you know, I like you asking that question because I think that, uh, not enough investors are looking at the big picture. They're still looking at like my local market and they're they're mm-hmm. zooming in on the actual spreadsheet and like what's the ROI and they just don't see the huge tidal wave that's coming to to crash on them. And if uh, if the rookies who want who are listening want more information or just like kind of a, a better education on the market at large, Bigger Pockets just launched on the market podcast with our buddy Dave Myers, um, some other great guests on there as well. So be sure to check that out. They've got some really really insightful episodes already about what's going on in the marketplace. Um, so David, next question. So uh, the Fed also just bumped uh, interest rates. I think it was like fifty basis points yesterday. Um, so we can all anticipate that that's going to trickle into uh, the world of real estate investing, right? We'll, we'll continue to see interest rates on, on homes rise. How are you adjusting your game plan, both as an investor and as an agent with that, you know, with that news? And so I'm making a video about this very topic on my YouTube channel. It's youtube.com slash David Green Real Estate. And here is my ultimate take and how it works. There's a contingent of people that are saying, if rates go up, homes are more affordable, therefore prices must come down. And they are holding very firmly to that belief. And they're actually getting angry at me because I'm saying, I don't think that's going to happen. Well, let me explain. If supply and demand are perfectly even in a, in a harmonious state, like we all wish they would be, right? If interest rates go up, that makes homes less affordable. What that's really doing is decreasing demand. It's bringing less buyers that are able to buy, right? So in a perfect state, if demand went down, prices, meaning the supply side, would have to match it to to hit that equilibrium, which is how that's the framework that the people who are saying prices should come down because rates went up, they're operating from the assumption that we have something close to supply and demand being even because the closer they are to even, the more sensitive the market is to interest rates. We have something more like this. Demand is incredibly high and supply is incredibly low. So rates going up will, in fact, bring demand down. 
but it's not nearly enough to get all the way to where it's even with supply. So what that means is if you're in the bottom half of the people, you were barely pre-approved, you were like just trying to fight your way to the market, you get drowned. But all the other people that have plenty of money, there's still so much demand for housing and they see that it's still a long-term, the best investment you can make. There's less risk than crypto, than NFTs, than stocks, than everything else. And with inflation and continuing to rise, even though your rate went up, the rent you're going to get is probably going to go up too, right? Like that's the problem is it, I don't think the rate hikes that we're seeing are going to bring prices down. I think they're going to wash out people that we're barely able to, to buy. And I'm not happy about that. I don't like it. What I think we need to do is build a lot more housing and bring some kind of equilibrium so people can kind of figure out what to expect. But unfortunately, I don't see enough of that going on. So David, how if I'm a new, say I'm a new agent, right? And, and I see these kinds of things happening, do I need to adjust my game plan at all? Or, or can I just kind of ride the same wave that we've been riding? I think as a new agent, what you want to be like the people that are going to struggle are your, I don't want to say a first time home buyer, but it's a person with not a lot of income. If they were, if you're living in a market where the average person can afford a $400,000 house and the average house is $400,000, you're going to have a hard time getting a client that can actually get anything because those few houses that are 400,000 are going to get snatched up really quick. So what I would be doing is looking, instead of solving the problem of the first time home buyer, which is I will make this comfortable and I will be there for you emotionally and I will take away the fear. What you need to be looking at is how do I solve the problem of the person with some wealth? How do I get good at explaining a 1031 exchange? How do I learn the tax benefits of real estate ownership so I can share this with people that already have a little bit of wealth? How do I look at the return on equity in a property so I can go to Ashley who maybe has three houses that are cash flowing strong, but she's getting a 2% return on her equity and say, look, if we sell these three houses and reinvest into this thing, I can get you an 8% return on that investment, which means your cash flow will go up times four and sort of painting a picture for people that already have the assets or have a little bit more wealth that would make them feel comfortable using you, especially if they're not already comfortable with real estate because they're not going to know that you're, you're new. I think that little thing too, you just dropped right there is being an agent and knowing your client too, that they have other properties and what those properties are and how they can tie into kind of the game plan that you're helping them put together. Well, uh, David, before we end the show, we do one last segment and it is to feature a rookie rock star. This is a rookie investor that has left us a message either at one eight 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 five rookie or in the Real Estate Rookie Facebook group or has sent a DM to Tony or I on Instagram. So this week's rookie rock star is Jorge Gonzalez. He is on property number six in Dallas, Texas, which is a triplex and it is turned out to be a success. He purchased the property about three months ago, did some renovations. The purchase price was $449,000, renovation cost $42,000, and with his down payment, his total money up front was $152,000. So he ended up with a total monthly cash flow of $2,060 on this property. Um, his mortgage is $2,010 a month, and he has expected about $430 a month for vacancy and repairs. Um, and the CapEx, he said that everything is all brand new, so he's not planning on it for the immediate future. Well, uh, great job, Jorge. And if you want to be featured as our rookie rock star, please leave us a message anywhere, online, social media, the Facebook group, and we would love to have you featured. Well, David, thank you so much for joining us again. And this book is uh, going to be part of a three-part series, correct? So we're going to have you back a third time. 
I sure hope so. <laughs> well, can you let everyone know where they can find out some more information about you and reach out to you? Do you have a podcast or anything? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I dabble in the podcast space <laughs> myself every once in a while. Uh, you can follow me online at David Green 24 That's where all my social media are, wherever you like. We're just now creating a TikTok. It's gonna, I think it's official David Green because some other jerk already took David Green 24 hoping I would buy it from them. Uh, my That's YouTube channel Tony. is... It wasn't really. Yeah. It's a good, good investment that you two made there. Uh, my YouTube channel is, is David Green Real Estate. Very boring name, but pretty easy to remember. And then you can catch me at the Bigger Pockets Real Estate Podcast with Rob Abasolo. And then if you want to get the book Skill, if you know a real estate agent, you'd like to give them a gift, help them to step it up. Or if your own real estate agent could use a little bit of, of improvement, go to biggerpockets.com slash skill. You can get the book there. Well, David, thank you very much, everybody. I'm Ashley at Wealth From Rentals. He's Tony at Tony J. Robinson. Don't forget to leave us a five-star review on your favorite podcast platform. And we will be back on Saturday with a Ricky Reply. The market is changing and finding your way can be tricky. Rates shift, headlines whirl, but your goal hasn't changed. You want financial freedom. And the best investors know it's not about timing the market. It's about time in the market. If you're ready to get into the real estate investing game or take your game to the next level, finding an investor-friendly agent is your next step. With BiggerPockets Agent Finder, you can find the right agent in minutes. Just head to biggerpockets.com deals. Enter a few details about what and where you want to buy and boom, instantly match with an investor-friendly agent who fits the bill. These local market experts can help you navigate the neighborhoods, analyze the numbers, and take action with confidence once and for all. There's free resources only available at biggerpockets.com deals. Get an agent, get the deal, and get closer to financial freedom at biggerpockets.com deals. That's biggerpockets.com slash deals to find your investor-friendly agent today. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all host and participant opinions are their own. Investment in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. Bigger Pockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.